This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs, listen live, or support by visiting WCWP.org. Welcome to Backstage at Tilla Center. We're thrilled to be here at the legendary Apollo Theater in Manhattan, speaking with the legendary Broadway producer and the new CEO, COO here at Apollo Theater, Aldo Scrifani. Thank you for so much for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, if, if you indulge me a minute, I'm just going to read a little bit about your bios, just okay. so the listeners know um, what, we're, what they're in store for today. Uh, you produce, co-produced, or have been associated with over a hundred Broadway, national, and international productions, including Stomp, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, City of Angels, Sunset Boulevard, Carousel, and the list goes on and on. Aldo's work has earned him multiple Tony Awards and nominations, as well as recognitions from the Drama Desk, Obie, the Pioneer in the Theater Award in 2011, and the Elliot Norton Award for Outstanding Production in Carousel. Uh, Aldo's also founded Theater Management Associates as a way to create a singular company to manage, produce, and tour theatrical productions, which we'll get into today. Wow, <laughs> we're so happy you could be here today. Um, I just touch briefly on how you made the transition to the Apollo Theater. To the Apollo? Yeah. Um, well, after about 14 years with uh, Drew Jampson, I then went on to Columbia Artists for about 19 years, decided I had had it with big companies and big boards. I thought I should go out on my own and just make things happen. And I formed Theater Management Associates, and uh, I thought I would leave with just one desk, one assistant. Um, unfortunately, it grew. It got rather uh, big, and we were doing quite well. Um, and then one day I got this uh, phone call. I was minding my own business from a uh, recruiter, saying would I be interested in an interview for an opening. And I said, what company? And he said, the Apollo Theater. And I think if it had been anything else, I just would have stayed at what I was uh, doing because I'm happily teaching. I'm an adjunct at NYU. And at Muhlenberg College, I run my company. I'm still producing Stomp. I thought that's enough in my life. But um, because of the national foot, it's it's a brand. Well, it's not only a brand. It's a it's an icon sure. that um, I just felt, uh, wow, what an opportunity. And then I spent some time, good six or seven months. They had done a big international search. Um, talking to uh, Janelle, who is our CEO, and then eventually uh, Dick Parsons, who's the chairman of our board. And it just became apparent that this was the challenge I was ready for after 40 years of being... That was the one missing piece. Of yeah, I just thought this is a good way to cap my career after all the things that I've done, and I couldn't be in a better place at a better time with a better group of people. Oh, um, that's great. And uh, like I said, it, it's just walking down the street and seeing the sign gives me just such pleasure and chills to actually set foot here. So. I, I still feel that way when I get here. That's great. Yeah. Well, let's just uh, take a step back. And I think what's relevant for the Tilla Center is just to learn a little bit about 
the national Broadway tours and things along that line. So mm -hmm. maybe you could just share a little bit about how did you actually start in the Broadway world? Um, I actually came out of college as a business consultant. I worked for a big CPA firm, and um, all my early clients were crazy people like Rocky Aoki, who was Benihana of Tokyo, had one restaurant, a guy named Warner Leroy, who built Tavern on the Green, was then building Great Adventure, and um, one of my clients was the Schubert Organization. Um, and my former colleague at the Schubert, a guy named Bob Wankel, had left my firm, went to work for the Schuberts as the controller. He's now the president of, of the Schubert organization. Um, and at dinner one time I said I was tired of being a consultant and I just wanted to get my hands dirty on something that I could affect directly. And the next day, uh, Bernie Jacobs said, you should call this man, his name was Jim Binger, who had just inherited this tiny little company called Jujamson Theaters. Um, after a series of interviews, I took the job and I spent the next 14 years helping to build that company, what it is, what it is today. And that's how I got into the theater, completely accidentally. I had no interest in being in it. I was always interested in theater. I sang in college. I did all those things, but never did I think that I would spend an entire career as a senior entertainment executive in the Broadway and live entertainment world. And, and here I am. such impact that you've made. Uh, shifting to the National Broadway Tours, how does that business differ than the actual Broadway business? And have you seen a change over the last several years? Yeah, I think big time. I mean, when I left uh, Jujamson in 1990, I went to Columbia Artist. I joined their theatricals division. Um, because Bra Columbia back in those days was a company that produced and managed shows and took them all over the world. And after 14 years of living basically in five square blocks in Manhattan, I thought it was time that I got out. Um, after about six months, I got put on the board and then I became the COO of Columbia. And for the next 19 years, um, oh God, we produced 40, 50 national tours. Um, we was, took them Was every, that just the national transition to... Well, it um, was really a pioneer running. time. I mean, uh, the saying. IPN didn't exist. Broadway Across America didn't exist. Pace didn't exist. Uh, Pace began with seven little theaters in Florida and then it began to grow and it became Clear Channel and it became SFX and Broadway Across America, the IPN was really didn't exist. It was an independent group of people. Um, one year we did Sunset Boulevard and to raise um, six million dollars that I had to do back then, I went to, Gary and I went to every individual, the Jujamsons, um, uh, Center Theater Group in LA. We just went to Jimmy Needleland who had theaters in Chicago. And we said, you know, if we can raise six million dollars, we can own the tour of uh, Sunset Boulevard. Um, which we did, and we then basically controlled the show for the next two to three years. And once that show was over, um, it became the IPN. Those guys said, hey, this is a great idea. It's the vision that you we can We can join forces, and now they've become a behemoth organization they produce and things of that sort. Touring has become, it was sort of the afterthought to Broadway shows. Now when you do a Broadway show, you're thinking the entire process. Sure. And touring becomes a very, very big part of the economic model. It's that probably makes it much like a uh, performer 
managing their career where you see, okay, it starts here. How do we build that, make that the nucleus and build the revenue around it, I would think. And touring, touring then became, you know, international. But, um, you know, I think when, when I first started in 1990, there were maybe 15 shows touring on a regular basis. Now there are well over 100. There were, there were one half the number of promoters that there are today. So it's really an expanded world, um, and, the, and with it has come the increase in improvement of quality. You know, when shows toured, a toured in trucks and they tried to make them as economically viable as possible, but, you know, the majority of the audience that comes to New York, 68% of all tickets that are purchased in New York are purchased by what we call tourists. And two-thirds of those come from all the cities in the United States. So when they come to New York to see a show and they go back to their city, they're expecting a very similar quality. And that's the other benefit which has really come along. The downside is that the costs of touring have just become very, very And do you high. think that's changed over the years, gotten even more? Yeah, even more so. Okay. Um, and it isn't, you know, it's, it's easy to blame all the unions. Um, as of course we know, touring is an expensive proposition with hotels and transportation and per diems and things. And then the work rules are, as you're moving around the country, you're constantly violating work rules. So that raises the price. At the same time, the cost of what we carry around the country has gone up. The cost of marketing, as, as you well know, at the Tiller Center, what it takes to promote a show in a, in a crowded market. So overall, I think it's been a huge boon. But like with all things, you know, there's always a bit of a downside. And that's probably the expense and the risk that promoters have to take. Sure, that makes sense. Um, and with a stage like the Tilla Center, how does a national Broadway tour choose the right performing arts center? And what's important in booking those? Um, I think it's a... Um, uh, probably the number one is, is the capacity of the venue and how well it's maintained and operated, uh, how strong the crew is. I know these all sound like really. Uh, no. How strong the marketing team is and then how, uh, let's just put it this way, how engaged is the community in attending that performing arts center. Um, and, and how do you base that? You look at past performances? A lot of past history, a lot has to do with the people running it. We all know each other. I mean, it's a big country, but we all have done business. We all grew up in the business together, so we all kind of know the personalities of it. And we know the, you know, the mood of the audience. We kind of know the markets. And we sort of say, well, okay, you know, I think the audience there would really enjoy this. And we pick up the phone and we call. Although most of the times the phone calls are going in both directions. If the Tillis really wants a show, they will pick up the phone, they will not waste any time. They will say, I want it, here's my time slot. You know, this is how much money I have, and the wrestling match begins. Sure, that's a good way to put it. It is a wrestling match. It's a matter of, um, you know, availabilities and the national cities, and when can I go there, and where can I get the most money. It's. It's just business. And it's interesting. You would think with Tilla Center being so close to New York that, that that complicates things. But in fact, it brings shows to audiences that probably don't necessarily want to spend the money or the time exactly. in going into the city. 
yeah, and, and probably not everyone can make it here to see the show. And so often enough, when we go to a city, someone who may have seen the show in New York will show up with a handful of other people saying, I saw the show in New York and you really should come in and see it. Of course, subscribers become, you know, that's the, the gold standard. Yes, you know, sure. when you have, when you have a, a reliable audience, that's, a, that's always makes you feel good. What's the biggest misconception you in, that you've experienced that audiences may have when going to a national Broadway tour? Um, interesting. I, I'm not sure I, I know. I mean, there was a time that they might have thought I was getting the Broadway show and outcomes uh, pared down. It certainly was content, the Broadway show, but it didn't look or feel uh, that way. I don't think that's true anymore. I mean, there are a lot of small one-nighter tours that are traveling around the country of various different, let's call it, excellence levels. Sure. But the national tours are all in great shape. Yeah, that's one of our biggest subscribers uh, that, that we serve, so it's great to hear that. So I'm sure you have many fascinating backstage stories that you've experienced, and we're called backstage at Tillerson. <laughs> um, can you share one of your favorites? Um, oh God, I have so many. I guess uh, one of the, my favorite um, people I ever worked with was Elaine Stritch. Uh, sure. I worked on Elaine Stritch at Liberty and I took her around the country. Um, and she, um, <laughs> she had this reputation of basically chewing people up and spitting them out. You know, backstage was always people running around, oh my God, frantic, because she was always yelling. Um, and I was one of the very few people that she never yelled at because every time she would yell, I would just smile at her. And um, one day she said to me, she said, you know, I just can't get to you, can I? And I said, no, I just think, I think you're beyond exceptional. And she said, well, you know, you're one of the few people that can really understand what it's like for an old bag like me to come out in a pair of tights and a white shirt and stand out there for three goddamn hours. <laughs> and I will never forget the moment because it was just sort of so real. I, you know, if you saw the show, she's out on stage by herself. There's an orchestra in the pit. She's in black leotards with a white shirt for three hours. She's and, she's, and she was 80 something years old. And she said, if you know what that's like and I'm not going to get testy, I said, uh, no problem. No problem. Oh, that's excellent. Just and I'm great. sure the list goes on and on, but that's a great story. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Aldo. And we wish you much luck in your new role here at thank the Apollo. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Backstage at Tillis Center on the campus of LIU Post in Brookville, Long Island. Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit wcwp.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.